The virtual CISO moment is brought to you by VCISO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vcisoservices.com. Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the virtual CISO moment. Sai Sturdivant joins us. He is the director of cybersecurity advisory services with Forvis. Hey, Sai, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I kind of, we talked a little bit about this in the beginning, and I knew I was going to kind of stumble over your title, and I know it's changed <laughs> a little bit, but but I got through it. I got through it. And we'll talk about that change and, and what precipitated it and all that, but uh, would love to hear your backstory, like how you got to where you're at in, in cybersecurity. Yeah, I appreciate that, Greg. I will say that um, my my path to cybersecurity was one that I accidentally got into. So that is not a plan, right? Like hope is not a strategy. So my background uh, was accounting and finance in college. Um, I had a just, I guess you would say curiosity growing up. I always loved technology. How does, you know, I grew up when cell phones were becoming a, a new thing. So I was fascinated by that. And just technology in general is what pulled me into this world. Mm-hmm. But I, I approached it from just more of a business standpoint. Um, but anyway, I had a, <clears throat> a job in college where I worked for a bank. Um, it was going through accounting and finance. So obviously the banking kind of had a, a good um, a good foundation, a good cornerstone to kind of get my career started. Um, they made me an offer as a trainee in their risk management program. And I flunked out of everything the first you know 90 days. I didn't like, for those of you in banking, I didn't like loan review, internal audit, compliance. And I just told them, I was like, is there anything else that I can try? And they were like, well, we do have a need for something like IT security. Would you like to dive into that? And of course, just the name alone, I loved. And uh, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, dipped my toe in the waters of IT security, which back then it wasn't called cybersecurity, right? It was just IT controls. And right. absolutely loved it. It, it kind of plugged into my DNA profile of just all things technology, communications, and obviously protecting that data. Um, so, like I said, I never set out to, to get into cybersecurity. I always had that love of technology, um, but it has been a fantastic career. And luckily, I have stayed in it. So, from an internal perspective, and then about three years in, I went to the external consulting side, and I've been doing that for the past 15 or so years. Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of um, folks actually in cybersecurity, I shouldn't say a lot, but I, I know. Um, it seems like sometimes when you look at the chief information security officer that they usually come up from one of two paths. One is the more prevalent one, which, which as people would think would be the IT path. That's how I came up through networking IT and all that. Yeah. But there are some that come up through accounting and finance. And it seems like a natural progression because accounting and finance in, in, in that general area is so much more about risk management and that mm-hmm. so much in InfoSec is risk management, right? Exactly. Yeah. So from an audit perspective, I was kind of in that control mindset, like we're trying to mitigate this threat. We're trying to keep keep the bad guys out, so to speak. So it always aligned to kind of more of what I didn't even realize at the time, but kind of just like who I am as a person, it aligned perfectly for, for what I like to do. So, but yeah, completely well said. You know, um, you talk about controls and I remember hearing from a former boss of mine when I was at Middle Tennessee State, she didn't like the term control. And I'm like, I, I don't know how else to 
call it. I mean, that's what the industry calls it. And I think that people have gained a little bit more acceptance to that now. But have you ever gotten any pushback with regards to calling something a control? And I don't know, maybe calling it something more like a procedure or something like that? Or do people pretty much accept the word control today? I guess I guess in my line of work, they they've they've hired me to come in and test their controls. Mm-hmm. So I guess in a in a regulatory standpoint, very little pushback. A lot of my clients are in the financial institution realm, banks, credit unions, mortgage, insurance. They've lived and breathed that for 20 years. But that's that's a really good point in terms of the institutions where they're manufacturing, construction, not for profit, higher education. They've never really said, I don't like this word, but you can tell they push back because of the, well, nobody's brought that up before. Why are we doing this? You know, it's it's an interesting thing that I, I really haven't thought of before, but um, but yeah, we, we've had more conversations around, well, that's a procedure, but we need it to be a policy, not necessarily right. a control. And I don't like the vernacular of that, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be rearing its head at some point in the future. Well, and, I, and the reason why I brought that up um, is that what I found um, in the virtual CISO space is that sometimes you have to tailor your message to the oh, yeah. client industry that you're in and the client size. I gave an example. Um, I did a talk. We were talking about this before the recording started, but I did a, a, a talk at, in Murfreesboro at the Middle Tennessee Cyber Conference. And one of the things I touched on was making sure that you're using the right, making sure you're communicating effectively. And the example I brought up was the um, difference between, or the two terms rather, information security and cybersecurity. Now, I think for the most part, people see cyber as a subset of information security, but there are some people that see information security as a subset of cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that um, whatever you're doing, whomever you're talking to, whatever small, mid-sized business, whatever business that you're that you're on the right page with regards to that. Otherwise, it's very hard to even start talking about threat environments. Well said. Yeah. And I, I like that reinforcement of cybersecurity is, is part of your information security program. It's just everything digital, right? It's everything electronic. But the things you've done for, you know, since the day you opened your doors, it's the same thing, but just in your digital format, that digital data. Um, but I like the vibe of like, or the, the tone, the theme of speak to them like they want to be spoken to. Not even really like your tone. That's That's big. Mm-hmm. Like, are they are they KPI driven? Do they want to see dashboards? Do they want to see graphs? Or do they want to have a conversation? Tell me what tell me what the graph is saying here. Like, I really want to know. Uh, that, that's a really good uh, reminder that if you're concerned about something, you being the listener from an information security officer standpoint, consultant, you name it, are you are you able to translate that concern to something they can actually understand? You know, they oftentimes, and you know this, Greg, they're like, well, okay, how much money do you want? Right? From a budget perspective, they're like, no, I, I think it's a training. I think it's a culture issue. I think it's a reporting issue. You know, it could be these things, but they have to be able to hear you. Right. And and in, in order to hear, uh, in order to, you have to be able to hear you in order to start to take advice with regards to threats and threat environment. And so- awesome. Um, what do you, what do you, what would you think is the greatest, uh, currently right now, um, threat to, uh, to small and mid-sized businesses. Now we're recording this on Friday, the 16th of September. So the big thing out there today, obviously is the Uber incident, um, which they haven't really given too much details about. Um, so I guess maybe at this particular time, don't take an Uber to work <laughs> or something, but, but Uber aside, um, what, what would you think would be like one of the greatest threats to information security to small and mid-sized businesses right now? 
And honestly, you're probably expecting me to say ransomware, business email compromise, phishing. Honestly, the biggest threat that I see from, from this sector is just a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding um, of the threats, just mm -hmm. in general. Like if you if you don't understand, if you haven't researched and you don't show that you um, that you understand your enemy or that you value controls like we just referenced in your organization, lack of knowledge is the biggest threat because that that alone you'll never be able to solve you know, uh, a ransomware event, you know, prevention strategy or fill in the blank type scenario. Um, so anyway, I don't know if that's what you were expecting, but that lack of knowledge, that lack of understanding, um, I think is the single most biggest threat that most small and medium sized, medium sized businesses face right now. No, I think that's huge. And, and a lot of folks will say like the, the ransomware or BAC or something like that. Um, but this stuff tells well with, uh, um, we had we had a guest on a few months ago who's who answered with by saying bad advice um, is it, it's it's about the same thing because uh, I always say that the virtual CISO and the CISO in general and I, th I think a corollary to this would be the audit side as well too that our jobs are to provide to executive management and the board of directors as much information correct information about the threat environment so that they can make risk-informed decisions when all is said and done. And you can't do that if you're, A, not communicating correctly, B, they don't have the knowledge, because to your point, that's part of what we're trying to do is to give them that knowledge and to also then be able to make those decisions. But so, so there is a little bit of a difference, though, between what you do and I do. And I'll frame this like in the three lines of defense model. And the way I like to say the three lines of defense model for, for those folks that, that aren't familiar with it out there is first line is more like operational management, that sort of thing. So in, in the InfoSec world, that would be the cybersecurity stuff, the firewall and all that stuff. Second line is risk management. That's where the CISO falls into play, creates the controls or rather recommends the controls and to, to mitigate threats and does risk assessments and so forth. And then third line is audit, which makes sure that first and second line are doing everything correctly. Um, well, first of all, do I have a pretty good view on that or am I missing? Absolutely. No, that's well said. Perfectly said. Okay. Well, good, because I've been saying that for some time. And you know, <laughs> I've never I've never taken it from the audit perspective. But but what do you what do you do if you find something um that is out of whack, so to speak, with a control? What what is what is your approach um to to first of all communicating that so that they have the knowledge and then um any sort of remediation yeah. advice? Yeah, obviously it depends on the situation, but if it's like, if it's a first year client, we're a little bit more sensitive, right? We don't want to point fingers. We just want to identify, Hey, we, we have this finding and, and, and you want them to be a second year client. Too. Exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> they have hired us, you know, if they don't, if they don't like what we're preaching and what we're selling, then they can go somewhere else. Absolutely. They have to have an audit. They can have anybody to do it though. Um, so typically my, my, I guess you would say my motive behind everything is to, if we see risk, we're going to seek help. We're going to bring in those that are responsible for this, let them know what we found, but really try to identify the root cause. Was this a staff turnover and somebody just didn't realize they had to do this quarterly review or is it something more systemic? Like that's what we're trying to figure out. Um, and we always try to clarify, this is what we found. This is why we're recommending what we're recommending. And then we try to transcribe a, a really detailed recommendation of how to solve it completely, give them that reference if they're unaware of, of the requirement. Um, but yeah, going back to that root cause, like how, how do we think this happened? I believe this was in place per your comments, but 
we're, we're not seeing evidence of that. Um, so most of our conversations center around getting to the root cause, because if not, you're going you're gonna to address the symptom. You're not going to address the disease. So I like to think about the concept. We'll get back to controls here for a second. We have like primary and compensating controls. Mm-hmm. And I have been in audits before where a, um, an auditor will say, well, you don't have this particular control in place. And just because it's the first thing that came to my mind, let's just say network access control, mm-hmm. that there is a standard out there that, that you're auditing against that says you have to have network access control in place. Um, there could be compensating controls that mitigate that risk because really what you're looking for, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're really looking for is not necessarily a check the box with every, every control, but you're looking to see that the risks associated with not having that control are mitigated. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. Residual risk is low and accepted. If residual risk is, is too high, and nobody's aware of it, that, that's a bad situation, right? But yeah, well said, there, there's key controls, there's compensating controls. And then you can kind of get into that whole, like, well, are these preventative controls? Or are they detective controls? Or are they corrective controls? It all goes into that conversation. So if, um, if an organization that you're auditing, um, you have this particular um, um, example come up, because this is, this is one of the things that I actually have, I won't say a little bit of difficulty explaining to folks when they're on, on, on their side of the audit saying, well, they need to, they tell us we have to do this. We have to put this control in. And, I'm, and, and I respond with, well, no, we're talking about the risk, like you just said, and let's look at the compensating controls in place. But um, what, do you, what do you actually look for? Um, you talked a little bit about the different types of controls, but, but could you succinctly like say, what combination of, of compensating controls will, will effectively generally mitigate a primary control risk that the primary control is not in place? Yeah, look at That's you. a tough question. I'm it's sorry. It's a tough question because it, it varies on, like, I'm going to be a lot harder on a network-based control, like Active Directory, mm-hmm. uh, administrator-level access, passwords, multi-factor authentication, segmentation, uh, group access, like if it's network top stuff, any of that, I'm looking for a very, very strong preventative based control, long, strong passwords, limited least privilege access. Like there's not 15 domain admins. There's only maybe two or three, depending on how big you are, right? Um, so really most of what we're doing from our testing is is driven by regulatory expectations. Like there's guidelines that are out there to help define what that looks like. But oftentimes it's like, don't don't shoot the messenger. Please don't shoot the messenger. You're required to do this. Are you doing that? Mm-hmm. Going back into the small and medium-sized businesses space, a lot of times that's where I really focus is that, hey, you've got um, a good setup process. Like when there's a new hire, you're setting them up. You're giving them the least amount of access to, to do, the, uh, do their job. And then you follow that. You're reviewing it on a quarterly basis. So I... My, and I guess everybody's different too. I focus preventative, like did you set it up the right way? You've got everything in place and then you have good detection behind that, right? It's not detection is the primary. Some people will say, oh, well, we don't change passwords. We, we give a lot of domain admins their, their admin access to do their job effectively, but we still monitor. It's like, well, but you're, you're putting a lot of faith and trust that it's gonna be caught in time. Why not put right. that prevention in place and then if something slips through, it's going to be detected and caught quickly. 
Um, but ultimately, going, going back to from an information security officer perspective, it's not my decision to say, have you, have you um, mitigated that risk to an acceptable level? Ultimately, that's management's interpretation. They've done that risk assessment. They've identified their assets. They've identified the threats, the likelihood of those threats occurring, the impact of those threats, and here's the controls. And what did they say the residual risk was? You know, if it's low and accepted, then I can't really interject much unless they, again, like we said, ignorance, right? Like they didn't know they had to do these controls to be compliant or to be um, well mitigated against ransomware or business email compromise. So it, it is a, <laughs> it's a dance sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so we always look at that risk assessment. Did they understand it? Have they missed certain things? Because um, whatever worked two to three to four years ago, it's probably not going to work now. And we're always having those conversations. Well, and, and that brings us back to the point that we were saying earlier on about, about um, not knowing. And, and I think sometimes that I, I've seen sometimes where, where executive management kind of liked being in the not know mm -hmm. until once they found out things and, and then they became engaged. And then it's just like, oh, did not realize just how difficult this was. And they also would have a false sense of security, no pun intended, that um, just because they got a, um, a a pass on an audit or they got certified SOC 2 or something that that they're then suddenly all secure. Would you agree that this is sort of like the beginning of it? It's, it's kind of like an ongoing process. It's, You're just measuring ongoing. in time, right? Yeah, it's a point in time. And we, we were very clear to say, as of right now, like here's the findings and recommendations. So the things that we do not have findings on, it's assumed that you're doing it well, but that can change tomorrow. You can lose this great IT manager or director or information security officer, and the program goes down the drain sometimes. It's it's really difficult to maintain this. Um, so yeah, I mean, well, and well and they and they have to have the knowledge to self-attest, at least for um the example that comes to my mind, it's a SOC 2, because sometimes you'll get the SOC 2, and yes, it's for you know an X period of time, SOC 2 type 2. And then you, you have the audit date cut off, you have the report issued, but then you're not going to address that again. You're not going to release one for another year. So they have the bridge letter, but yep. the bridge letter is not something usually that comes from an audit firm. That's actually the company attesting that I'm not aware of anything material that has changed since the audit. Right. So they have to have that awareness in order to do that. Right. Absolutely. And most of the time, like from an audit perspective, most smaller companies are not doing audits every year. They're not getting SOC reports because they're not required to depending on mm -hmm. their service line, right? Most of the time, the ownership, the executive team, um, the shareholders, they're getting one response and they're like, oh, good, because they're asking the, and not, I'm not picking on IT because IT has a vital, vital role in, in every organization. But when an IT manager says, oh yeah, we, we, we've got that taken care of. Yeah, we're doing backups. Yeah, we, we've got security. Most of the time they're like, thank goodness. Thank you. Good. And they never think about it again. But that goes back to the knowledge, like an IT manager's view of security is way different than my view of it and your view of it, because they're looking at the technology function. Does it work? Can I, if it breaks, I fix it. If they don't think about, did I secure it well enough? Because most of the time, and you know this, when you put good controls and good security in, what happens? Efficiency goes out the window sometimes. Things mm -hmm. are just slower. It takes longer to get things done. So they don't think that way. They don't have that hat at all times. So that's a lot of times it's that false sense of security because somebody in the IT department said we're good and nobody challenged them. Yep. Yep. No, I, I, and they don't want to deal with the friction sometimes. So at that point in time, but, uh, 
well, I could talk controls and three lines of defense and auditing and all that, but uh, we don't have enough time. But I would like to, I know that there's a lot of stress in InfoSec and, and audits a little bit different. I don't know if there's like um, more stress in the audit field or less stress in the audit field. I would submit though, that there's some stress, right? Oh, absolutely. So what do you, what do you do to help decompress, get away from it all, for example? Yeah. And, and from my world, it's more, it's more deadline driven. Like obviously we have stress. It's just a different kind of stress. We have, we're accountable to the client to be sure that we test everything we said we're going to test. We, mm-hmm. were, we were in depth. There was a lot of quality, a lot of good consulting built into it. We issue our reports timely. But what if you lose a team member, right? What if a client says, oh, I need to push you two weeks and we don't have room for them. So that stress is almost like a, a vicious cycle, a domino effect, so to speak. Uh, so, to speak. Um, so really the best way that I try to tackle my work and life, like we all do, is just is is segment the best that I can. I don't weave work and personal together all day long. Um, I try to keep my head down, keep personal distractions to a minimum. And then when I don't say whenever five o'clock hits, because that's sometimes out of my control, but whenever it's like end of day, then I mean, it's almost like you, you shut your computer off. I shut my brain off from a work perspective and it's family time. It's exercise. Go go to the gym. As I see you in the Y, oftentimes. <laughs> yeah. um, I would say how I decompress is just finding a way that, that recharges me. Rest is one thing, but what really recharges you? And I've tried to focus more on that mm-hmm. than just sitting on the couch watching TV. It's like, well, that's rest, but I didn't really gain energy from that. So uh, yeah, for me, it's spending time with the kids, laughing, making them laugh, exercising, uh, and spending time with friends and colleagues, uh, and not talk about work. That's that's really, <laughs> that's really it's hard to do, but that's really big for me. It's very hard to do, and and particularly in my world as a as a business owner, it's like sometimes it's hard for me to get away from it. So it is I your think, life, yeah. When you own a business, it's your life. Yeah, I think I think the reason why I ask this of everybody is not so much maybe for the folks out there. It's for me. <laughs> I don't know. It's like <laughs> give me some ideas how to de-stress. That's but awesome. uh, what what uh, future plans? What what do you have? Uh, what what do you see? Sigh five years from now. Yeah, no, I, I'm fortunate enough to work for a fantastic uh, accounting and advisory firm. We've gone through a, a significant merger uh, in June with another fantastic accounting firm. So BKD was my legacy firm. We've merged in with Dixon Hughes Goodman out of the out of the Southeast Carolinas, uh, and now we're Forbis, right? So Forbis is a new uh, top ten accounting firm. So I have no plans to go anywhere. The team and the the company that I loved is now even better. Um, so for me, it's just trying trying my best to, like you said, protect my energy, protect my my passion for what I do, because if I lose that, then the the team is going to see that the company is going to feel that the clients will know that I'm checked out. But if, if I can balance everything that we're you and I are preaching, um, my plan is to be here for another 20 years, retire and go off into the sunset and maybe even do what you're doing. Consult, write some books, keep speaking, keep preaching. Um, <laughs> you can, so as long you- as they'll have me, I'm staying. <laughs> so, 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 Sai will be our 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 next podcast host twenty years from now if the virtual CISO moment is still on. Yeah. <laughs> a lot less hair and uh, more wrinkles, but I, I hope to be around for sure. Awesome. Well, listen, I, I I do appreciate all that you do. I know that um, through what I do, we work with many different uh, audit firms. Always loved working with BKD and now Forvis. You guys do a great job. You especially. 
always know that we can come to you for any sorts of questions and get a straight answer because you're trying to help us. So appreciate that. Uh, Sai, it's, it's so great catching up with you again. Um, appreciate having you on, man. Yeah, no, it's been, uh, been it's been a blast. I've been waiting eagerly for this opportunity. So you had <laughs> so many good you know, so many good guests. I feel honored to be a part of it. And again, right right back at you. Appreciate what you're doing. Um, obviously, you've spoken about your mission and why you're in the position, why you created the firm, why you're offering these services, why you're doing these podcasts. So I know it takes a lot of energy to do this and a lot of grit. And so I equally appreciate your efforts uh, to keep this narrative alive, to keep companies safe and secure. So right back at you. Well, thanks, Sai. Well, appreciate it. Look forward to us uh, catching up over breakfast sometime. Yes, sir. Talk soon. All right. And everybody else, stay secure.